Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jarez, as always, with me, Arif Dean, and we promised you guys a, I guess, surprise in the last episode, right? We teased it for you guys. Well, here it is. Today, we've got the newest member of the podcast, Peter Ball of The Athletic. Peter Ball, welcome to the show. I know we're not going to be here every episode, but we're happy to have you down the stretch here and in the playoffs, and super pumped to have you on board the podcast here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to join you guys, talk some Avs a little more frequently, and um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun, and thank you all for listening. And the second part of our surprise is kind of when we're recording, you guys can hear the background noise. We are at Ball Arena. We're doing a post-game pod. We don't know how often we're going to do these, but we're going to go with the flow because that's the beauty of a podcast. We're going to try out some things to close out the regular season. We're going to try out some things for the playoffs, hopefully a long playoff run so we can perfect it you know, by the second or third round or so. But, yeah, it's a three-man team now, obviously, with Patrick doing all of our producing and three voices, three opinions. Peter's great. I've been bothering Peter for uh, for months. Or not bothering him, but him and I have been texting for months, and every single time we have a text conversation about some playoff race or trophy race or award or something, I always end up the conversation with, like, Man, if we can turn this texting conversation into a podcast, it would actually be a pretty damn good episode. So we're going to start to do that now. Yeah, that's how gold is made, right? Just natural conversations turning into, why don't we just do this on a recording? So here we are. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. I mean, here, as Arif said, we're in Ball Arena. There's a little free skate going on in front of us. But the Avalanche just had another dominating win, this time against the New Jersey Devils. 3-1. to one. I mean... I really want to go back to yesterday, right, when when we heard Nathan McKinnon in the postgame presser, and he gave the New Jersey Devils a lot of credit, right? He was kind of saying, this is a tough team ahead of us. We're not trying to look past it. Then you go to Jared Bednar this morning after morning skate. He kind of reiterated that same thing. Why was it that this team, I know they lost to him earlier this year, but why did the Avalanche hold the New Jersey Devils in such high regard in this game? Yeah, Jared said that after the game yesterday. There was no morning skate. Oh, yeah, that's true, true. Yeah, it's just all jumbled together. But, it, I mean, look, it's a team. First of all, it's the NHL. And in the NHL, nobody's going to go into a game and be like, yeah, they suck. We're going to smoke them. It's just it's not something you see. But at the same time, and it's funny enough, the Avalanche took a 3 to nothing lead tonight before winning 3-1. The only other time the Avs played this team, they took a 3 to nothing lead and then let's call a spade a spade. They shit the bet. They let in five straight goals and lost 5-3. Pretty bad loss. Darcy Kemper wasn't his best. So... You know, no matter how good you are, no matter where you are in the standings, you're not going to pump your chest for that team coming in and be like, yeah, we're going to smoke them. It is just, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, looking at the game tonight, it wasn't exactly the most enthralling game, right? But the Avalanche just kind of came in, took care of business, scored the first three ga- goals. Um, so I guess let's look into individual performances because that's kind of all I feel we can really talk about. No really storylines that came with this game. So. Um, obviously, we saw Arturi Lekkinen get a goal. Does he stand out as maybe one of the, the stars of the game, or are you giving it all to Francis considering he almost had a shutout there? I mean, I think Lekkinen, yeah, certainly. I think the, they named him the first star of the game, and I thought he played really well. I think he fits the Avalanche system well with his forechecking and defensive abilities, and certainly has some chemistry with Valerian Nachushkin. They got split up a bit tonight. Um, but I think he's the type of guy that can play with a lot of different types of players just because he's good at retrieving pucks. He's he's a good passer. Maybe he doesn't always finish as much as, as he wants to, but he's he's certainly a good player, and it was, I'm sure, good for He said it was it was good for him to, to get some points under his belt. And, uh, and yeah, he, has, he said he's getting more and more comfortable every, every day with the Avalanche system, and, and I think it was 
certainly a good trade deadline addition for Joe Sackick. I mean, it's kind of been growing these last three or four games. We've seen him get better and better and start to pitch in offensively. I mean, the Avalanche, all the new guys they brought in at the deadline, nobody really stuck out with this crazy amount of, uh, you know, offensive production right away. But nobody really didn't fit. Like, Nico Sturm has played his role well. You'd like to see a little bit more offense from him. Josh Manson took a little dip in the beginning. Jared Bednar just said the last two games he's been outstanding and two of the better games and really just pumped his tires. Cogliano's been that veteran presence. So Lekkanen, that's the guy you brought in to pitch in offensively. He got a couple points today. I believe he had one yesterday. I lost. I think track. he had two yesterday. Two yesterday. That's what it was. Yeah. So he's he's starting to pitch in offensively. He's starting to fit in. And you know, around these places, we don't call him Lekkanen. We call him Mini Val. And Mini Val's looking pretty damn good with the Avs right now. Yeah, so with that, he got not only the goal, but also added an assist. He's seeing some power play time. And on top of that, we're seeing the power play really convert a lot lately, right? I mean, we know this has been this powerful power play. Powerful power play. I guess alliterative at a least. A powerful play. Yeah, a powerful <laughs> play. Um, they, they're, they're a good power play. Sometimes they go through slumps. So it's not surprising to see them converting at the clip they are now. But I think it is considering the personnel in the power play right now. Yeah, I think it's... Uh Number one, I think Peter was the one that asked this question yesterday, the puck retrieval of Nachushkin and Archery Lekkinen on the power play because both of their power play goals yesterday against the LA Kings, they capitalized like a minute and a half, minute 55 into it. It took a little bit of a while, and they had the puck deep in the LA zone for pretty much the entire time, and every single time they lost the puck, every single time the Kings were getting ready to clear it, you had one of these two four-checkers and Val and Lekkinen go out there and you know retrieve the puck and keep it going, so... They've been pretty, they've been excellent together. And what I like about the chemistry they're building together is I tried to get Jared to bite just now and he wasn't going to do it when I asked him if they were making it. That's a good question, it. though. Yeah, if they, I, was asked, I asked him if, they were, if he was making it, if uh, Lekkinen and Vinutushkin were making it hard for him to just put the top power play unit together when 91 92 are back mm -hmm. in Landeskog and Kadri. And he's like, no, I really wouldn't go that far. So obviously, Landeskog and Kadri are going to assume their position with Rantanen. McCarr and McKinnon, assuming everybody's healthy at the same time, on that top power play unit. But suddenly you're going to have a second unit with what? You're going to have Val and Lekkinen, probably Burakovsky, Gerard, and Taves, and there's still a couple guys you can put on there. So they're suddenly going to be two units deep, but with a lot more depth than they were two units deep early in the season when Newhook was seeing time and guys like Comfort were seeing time. Mm. Don't forget about Tyson Jost, right, on that power play, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just look at the whole lineup, and that you could say that about the uh, just the group as a whole, right? I mean, if this team was allowed to play five lines deep in the playoffs, they'd be able to Jeez, fill a yeah. five-line yep. team, no problem. So, Wow, uh, if they're healthy. If they're, if, <laughs> if they're healthy, yes, that's the big one. Because, I mean, they were pretty healthy against the Golden Knights last year, but against Dallas two years ago, oof, it, it got pretty thin there going and into Game 7. Even against the Golden Knights last year, I mean – they're down Kadri, who he wasn't hurt, but obviously and was Eric out. Johnson. And they were down Eric Johnson and Bo and Byram. So that's three yeah. players yeah. That, that they would have probably played. I mean, Bo and Byram obviously this year has looked much better than he, he did last year. But I, I think that's three guys that probably are in your lineup. The crazy thing is, and, you know, JJ and I have been talking about this for months now, is like going into this playoff series, not only do the Avalanche still have that top line, not only do they still have the depth, but – their second-line center in the playoffs last year was Tyson Jost. Their second-line center in the playoffs this year is going to be Nazem Kadri on a pace that he's never had before, scoring at a pace he's never had before, and having his best season of his career. So just that alone is going to be a, you know, a nice change, a nice refreshing change from what they're used to in the past. Funny thing is they you know, could possibly face Vegas in the playoffs, and Vegas has got all this depth too if 
they can stay healthy as well. But, I mean, the biggest thing with the Avalanche right now is their depth. It's the fact that, like, when Landeskog and Kadri returned, we just saw it with Byram and Gerrard. Like, suddenly, Jack Johnson's sitting a couple of games. Eric Johnson sat it, sat a game after playing every single game this season. You still got Ryan Murray, who, yeah, in the beginning of the season was more the depth piece. But, like, that last month before his injury, he was really... He was playing He's well. He was really well. He was he was growing into like the third or fourth best defense. Well, not third, but fourth most used defenseman on this team ahead of both Johnsons. You know, at at the time. So and while Gerard was injured, obviously. So a uh, lot of depth and a lot of decisions that Jared Bender is going to have to make if they're healthy. But if two or three guys go down, you know, you have the pieces to step in. Yeah, I mean, with that, we've seen. Eric Johnson gets scratched recently. We've seen Jack Johnson get scratched recently. And with the return of, of Murray, I mean, how is he going to juggle those three guys? How do you anticipate that happening? Because there, there's pros and cons to using all three of those guys. It'll be interesting. I'm curious to yeah. see how much he'll, he'll switch it up. Because if last year in the playoffs, he picked his six and he stuck with them the whole time. Didn't yep. change it once. It was, um, And even when Patrick Nemeth had, had some struggles, even when Samuel Gerrard had some struggles, like... Those were the guys Bednar went with. Byram didn't play. McDonald didn't play. Um, so, yeah, it'll be I, – I feel like this year there's maybe a little more trust with, with the seven, eight, even ninth defensemen um, that you have. Um, so so I think that that you probably will see a little more mixing and matching, and maybe if they they like what they see in one matchup with, with Ryan Murray being what he does, maybe he plays, and then the next night Eric Johnson plays, the next night Jack Johnson plays. But it does seem like – we're at a point where the there are five defensemen that if they're healthy, they're going to play, and that's Picard, Taves, Gerard, Byram, and Manson. Yep, and then you got the Johnsons and you got Murray. But who was it last year? It was Taves, McCard, Gerard, Timmins. Graves, Timmins. Who and, actually uh, played okay. And, and Nemeth, yeah. Timmins was the last guy. I was trying to remember who that. Man, this team has changed so much in a year, and they're going to change so much in the next four months again. It's, it's crazy. But, hey, I, I heard you talking about it. Uh, was it on the Jeff Merrick show where – you know they've got their core now, and this is who they're gonna go with. And the guys playing around them, the Burakovskis, who knows about Nachushkin, Kadri, even Kemper. Obviously, Frankie resigned, but everybody else on the outside, you just kind of got to plug in now, and that's kind of what we're seeing with this core. But as long as you got McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog, and you know and McCarr, McCarr, and yeah. obviously McCarr, <laughs> and I would consider Taves part of that now, considering the step he's took. I like to call him the Ryan Suter to Shea Weber when they were both in their primes. Um, you got a pretty damn good core, and you just kind of plug and play. And there's another guy that they talked to, you know, we finally got to talk to today, and Ben Myers, who's going to be one of those pieces that's plugged in, too. And it feels to me that this year, more than years past, I mean, I know there's always belief, but there's more belief in the core now more than ever, right? I think that's why you saw them go so heavy on the depth in the trade deadline, because they firmly believe that this group is the group that can carry most of the weight in the playoffs this year. Let's just give them some support behind them. And so I really think that the, there's just double the confidence in the, in the core guys than normal. They're making the most money. They're the ones that got to produce. I mean, it, that's, that's, it, it ultimately comes down to that. Kale McCarr's a $9 million defenseman now. He's having a hell of a season, but even if he was struggling a little bit this year, you're still going to ride with him because that's your guy. Same thing with McKinnon. Same with Ranton. Landeskog obviously is on that new contract. Devon Taves has a darling deal, almost as darling as McKinnon's darling deal. But, you know, those are your guys that you're going to ride with. And thankfully for the Avalanche, literally all these guys are just having exceptional seasons. 
I th would say the only guy in the top six that maybe isn't having his ideal season is Burakovsky. And, you and know, I would disagree with that, honestly. I and mean, he's still got 22 goals. He's got a career high in goals and points. Yeah. I mean, but, like, in terms of his points per game compared to season's past, and I'm not by any means saying he's had a terrible year, but, like, you know, all the other guys have these, like, crazy point percentages and, and paces that they've never had before. So, like, to pick on a guy who's scoring at a 55 to 60-point pace is kind of funny. But I'm not really picking on him. It's just, like, all of these guys are playing well, and that includes Makar and Taves. And, you know, we've seen Gerard take a little bit of a depth offensive production with his offensive production this year. But Bowen Byram has stepped up. Eric Johnson's been a pleasant surprise. He's got... You know, he had 15 points in, like, the first 31 games. He's kind of tailed off a little bit. Um, but they're getting the offense from everywhere. All these guys are stepping in, and you're paying them big money. They're the guys that got to step up. And the depth pieces are what exactly that. You know, there's a lot of new guys, and Nico Sturm and Cogliano and Helm, that for two of those guys, potentially three, they might not be here next year. And then you have JT Comfer, who, you know, who knows if he's going to be here. Tyson Jost was just traded. Logan O'Connor obviously signed, so... Those depth guys are going to be rotating. It's the main core that you're going to have to ride or die with. A lot of those names are on the score sheet from tonight, right? You got uh, Logan O'Connor with a goal. You got Josh Mance with an assist. Darren Helm with an assist tonight. And, of course, Arturi Lekkinen, like we mentioned, with the goal and the assist. But I wanted to bring up one guy because while he's not on the score sheet, he did end up with a plus two, and that's Sam Gerrard. I think we're seeing he him pro good. progress slowly but surely, right, back into maybe the same Gerard. We, I think even uh, mm -hmm. yesterday against L.A., we saw him whip out the Tornade again. I saw him do that today, too. Yeah, not it's been quite, a while. Not quite to the full extent that we're used to it, right? But um, I think he's really getting closer to playoff-ready caliber. And having him and Byram just makes this team so offensively dangerous. I mean, you're pretty much looking at, like, every time on the ice there's one defenseman who's dangerous offensively and I, I think that's something they've been missing in the in the past little bit where you have Jack Johnson playing on the second pair with Manson who are both more defensive minded um, players and and so I think that having both of those guys back is is huge and um, yeah and what Kale McCarr is doing obviously is is pretty incredible um, yeah so if you can supplement him with guys who are also incredible offensively it's it's pretty dangerous there was a moment at the end of tonight's game where Kale McCarr was holding the puck in the defensive zone and snapped it across real quick over. I think it was Sam Gerrard. Sam, it was a hard pass, and Sam yeah. Gerrard, you could tell, like, kind of struggled to catch it. But just seeing those two snapping the puck back and forth between each other and then moving it forward, I think Miko Rantanen was the recipient of the of the stretch pass. I mean, you just you just love to see the way those two complement each other and throw Bowen Byram in the mix somewhere with those three, you know, some sort of combination of 2-2, two, 2-2 two, two, two somehow. Um I can't wait to see what they do in the playoffs. I'm a little nervous about having the smaller, speedy defenseman on, on a pairing at the same time, but I think Jared Bednar knows what he's doing, so I'd love to see a Kevin I mean, Well, I think pairing. he'll put Gerard with Manson. Yeah, he Gerard, likes Gerard, Gerard with and Manson. Manson. Gerard and and, Manson today, but I right. think he's pretty comfortable clearly flipping and flopping these defensemen, so if it's an offensive zone shift, maybe he has Gerard out there with Byram or McCarr or Taves even. Like you've, you've got – there's some flexibility, and he's, he's kind of made it so that – all these guys know how to play with each other, and I think that was that's by design. That's how he's approached it this whole year. Yeah, and Byron's 100%. playing with Eric Johnson, and I think we mentioned this. Uh, I think you and I were talking about this when Gerard and Byron were both out, but like you have, it's it's just funny to look at the differences between years past because like in years past, if the Avalanche were trailing a goal and they got an offensive zone faceoff, they would put Tyson Berry and Samuel Gerard out there, and you're like, man, they need to control the puck in the offensive zone because if it goes the other way, they're fucked. Like, they're screwed. They're, they don't have the defensive capabilities to stop the other team. 
Now we've seen Sam Gerrard come out and really grow and, you know, into a more well-rounded defenseman. And now you got Bowen Byram, Kel McCarr, and Devontae, who can all pitch in offensively, but they're all excellent defensively. So the biggest thing here with the Avs is decor. Like you were saying, every time someone's on the ice, or every time there's a line on the ice, you have a dangerous offensive defenseman. But all of these guys play a good two-way game. And they're supplemented by Eric Johnson, who obviously is more of a stay-at-home defenseman at this point of his career. Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson, who do that as well. And now, obviously, acquiring Josh Manson kind of rounds this defensive core to the point where you're eight or nine guys deep before you even get to Curtis McDermott, who I'm not saying is a great defenseman, but is you know part of that team that you know you can expect to see him on any given night as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything else you guys want to add again uh, on the defensive group? Obviously, breaking records, but they're breaking. This team's just breaking records yeah. left and right. But what we're seeing out of the defense and, and the blue line uh, you know, offensively is just unreal this year. Can I can I uh, can I bring up some awards talk with the defense group? Let's do it. Yeah, I've been the the Norris vote is going to be fascinating this year because you have Roman Yossi who's just been on this tear. You have Cal McCarr who's been pretty consistent all year. Um, and then you've got some other guys like McAvoy, Hedman, who have been had good years and worthy of being on people's ballots. Probably the two front runners are McCarr and yeah, and uh, Ekblad before his injury. But yeah, and McCarr and Yossi. I'm curious where you guys kind of are thinking of like if you had to vote, who you would go with, what you are kind of seeing out of these two, and and where you you stand on the debate. So I can make a good argument for both, and it's kind of funny how. First of all, from the offensive side, and, you know, offensive numbers are not what determine the defenseman of the year, the Norris Trophy winner, but it helps. And what we've seen in the last four games is Kel McCarr's put up seven points. Roman Yossi's now gone scoreless in seven in, in four games. So McCarr has closed the gap of seven points, and now I think he's only five points back. It's five Yossi. back. And yeah. I think the Avs have one more game left than the yeah, Predators. Because, yeah, because the Preds did get shut out today. So now that's four straight games without a point for Yossi. So he's only five points back now. He's got 26 goals compared to Yossi's 14, I want to say. 19. 19, thank you. Oh, wow, he's up to 19 now. Yeah. Wow, damn. Yeah, so that that certainly helps. I can I can see the argument for Yossi in the sense where he could be a guy that could put up 90 or 100 points on a team where their best offensive weapons in Duchesne and Johansson and Forsberg, well, not Johansson, but Forsberg and Duchesne, you know, are going to be in the 80s. They, they're, he's not playing, they're not playing on a team where you have McKinnon, Ranton, and all these guys that could have scored 100 points had they not missed any games. And Ranton might still get there. Hell, McKinnon might still get there. He needs 19 points in nine games. I'm not betting against him. Like, it could happen still. So I could see why Roman Yossi, you can make the argument for him. But at the same time, I think the biggest thing with Kale McCarr is, number one, he's scoring a hell of a lot of goals, and that always is going to help. But number two, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend I watch 82 Nashville Predators game, but what he does with the puck, there's no other defenseman in the NHL that kind of has that skill right now. And he's a younger guy. He's a guy that probably, you know, wanted to win it last year. I don't want to say should have won it, but probably wanted to get it last year. Roman Yossi's won it before. I could see voters leaning more toward Kale McCarr, and I would probably lean more toward him. But I will say if the Nashville Predators... They've been slumping here the last week or so. If they can go on a little bit of a run to end the year, if they can solidify that wild card one position, and if Roman Yossi gets close or reaches the 100-point plateau, it would be hard to vote against him. But at the same time, it's also, you know, I'm kind of, maybe I'm now mixing the Norris with the Hart Trophy, where I could see Yossi getting, you know, I could see Yossi finishing third on the Hart Trophy ballot behind, or even second behind Austin Matthews, 
but also finishing second on the Norris Trophy voting, you'd be like, yeah, both of those make sense. Makar was the best defenseman, but Yossi, as the most valuable player to his team, was a lot more than Makar. Yeah, I think Yossi, what he did the last month or so, it felt like he was going to propel himself in front of Kale Makar. Kale Makar kind of went quiet a little bit, but I would say in the last couple weeks, he's reinserted himself in, like Eric pointed out, Roman Yossi kind of taking a step back. I like to think a lot of times about the public perception and a lot yeah. of times the uneducated perception, it's right? What, it's what it comes down to. I mean, look, at uh, there's pundits all over the league, one even calling the Avalanche bland recently, right? <laughs> Um, love you, Greg. <laughs> of, of course, yeah, friend of the show. Um, but you got to think, a lot of these people that don't necessarily watch all the Avs games like we do consider Kale McCarr more of an offensive player, right? They don't get to see the defensive side of the puck like we Big get guy. to. So I think because of that, he kind of gets edged out. But I also love the fact that how the fact that he's such a big name in, among Canadian media Kale McCarr is that I think he's slowly starting to, to kind of rise and maybe be able to overcome some of the biases that we see from out-of-state media. Yeah, I think that what's interesting with McCarr is that he kind of does have this reputation of an offensive defenseman, but if you look at him this year, he's penalty killing mm -hmm. more than a minute a game. I think it's still more than a minute a game, but at one point it was. he. If you look at his game last night, one of the goals he assisted was because he won a puck battle, and... Uh, before the goal he scored, he created a breakaway by himself on the penalty kill and drew a penalty. So he's he's pretty pretty darn impressive defensively. Obviously, he's he's not the shutdown defender that like Jacob Slavin is, maybe. But he's I think that com with his offense is is pretty telling. Yossi's obviously similar. Like he's not solely just a good offensive player. Obviously, he has good defensive yeah. instincts too. I'm. I I've, you actually have a vote, I would I, assume. You have a vote I, I think so. Yeah. I don't think they've announced the voting list yeah. yet. But I mean, my thought press is is currently that Makar's advanced metrics are a little better, um, and I I think it's also interesting if you take out secondary assists, Makar actually has more points. And not, I'm not saying secondary assists aren't important; they obviously are. Um, but compared to goals and primary assists, they're the least important type of point. So I, I think that it's telling that Makar is now only five back of Yossi because for a while it was like Yossi was up 87 to 77 and he was on pace to reach 100 and he still might. And if Yossi has a surge, Nashville makes it into the playoffs and he finishes with 100 points, that big round number is hard to vote against. The other big round number that's hard to vote against 30 is, goals. is 30 goals, yep. which Kale Makar has a chance to get to. So I'm just really fascinated. I don't think... People might get mad at me for saying this, but, like, I, I don't think that this is an instance in which, like, if Kale McCarr doesn't win, he won't get robbed. Roman Yossi is yeah. deserving. And if Roman and if Kale McCarr wins, Roman Yossi wasn't robbed. Someone has to lose. So yeah, Someone someone's going to gonna finish second. These are two – some – I mean, you look at even, like – this is a cross-sport metaphor, but, like, the, the – MVP race in the NBA this year. You have three guys who could all Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, and if any of those guys won, you would say, yeah, that makes sense. Like, but that means two people are going to be, or two people's fans are going to be sad. Yeah. Um. So yeah, McKinnon yesterday was was pretty adamant that that he thinks Cam McCarr should be this year's uh, Norris winner, and um, I think at this point I'd agree with him, but I also wouldn't f fault anyone for voting for Roman Yossi. The reality is with a lot of these trophies, it's the late season push determines a lot of it. It really does. 
and uh, you know, taking take into account like Pat previous years, you know, when we saw Taylor Hall win the Hart Trophy, that was a big late season push for him to get the Devils into the playoffs. When we saw Corey Perry win the Hart Trophy way way back in, I want to say 2011, he had like 25 goals in his last 20 games. He hit the 50 goal plateau, and he did it. You know, he didn't have as many points or as many goals as other guys did, but he had that late season push. And that's ultimately what determines. I mean, look at Aaron Ekblad. And I'm not going to pretend this is something that I thought of, but I heard this Down Goes Brown said this earlier today. Sean McIndoe on another podcast, he said, Aaron Ekblad has missed the last 20 games, so it's kind of calmed everything down. But what if Aaron Ekblad missed the first 20 games and yeah. then did what he did for the final 62? We would have been like, okay, he only played 62, but look how good he was down the stretch. And he's so that, a top defenseman on the best team in the East. And he's a top defenseman on you know, the best team in the East and potentially the President's Trophy winner. We'll see. The race is going to go down to the wire. So that's kind of what it is. It's that late season push, and that's why – you know, Peter and I were texting about this a week ago, and now we're finally turning it into a podcast. Look at that. But uh, we were texting about it a week ago, and, you know, Yossi's on this crazy tear, and Makar is not putting up that many points. And, you know, it's not a points race, but it kind of is that, that late-season push that's, that people take notice of was Roman Yossi scoring at an incredible points pace. At one point, it was over a two-point-per-game pace. And now suddenly, Makar gets, I believe it was a couple points against Edmonton, then he goes zero. Then he gets uh, four against L.A. and then another one against New Jersey. So he makes up seven points in the race. And Roman Yossi goes zero, 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 zero. And now suddenly it's a five-point race. I just hope, because you know there's people of this mindset, but I hope it doesn't take over. The Kale McCarr has plenty of time to win more Norris trophies. He's Let's give this one to Roman Yossi. Yeah. yeah, and I also hope the— But Roman's also won one already, so I, I don't know. I, I also hope that there's not the— I'm a big believer if you vote for the person who had the best year, it doesn't matter if they've yeah. won it before or haven't won it before. Like, it, it shouldn't be that Kale McCarr shouldn't get this because he hasn't won and Roman Yossi has. And and I I think that – I don't know. I don't think that would yeah, be the case. This, this trophy and the Selkie trophy are the reputation awards where you kind of – you got to build that reputation before you can win it, but I think last year kind of put an end to that. Adam Fox winning it last year, and Adam Fox and Kel McCarr being the two finalists last year ahead of Victor Hedman, who finished third in the voting, I believe. That was huge for this award, where people no longer think of it as a reputation award. Because I mean, it was the same. It was the same thing with. Uh, uh, years past, Drew Doughty for so many years was in the running and then didn't win it until like three years after he probably should. P.K. Subban, same thing happened. I don't even think Shea Weber ended up with a Norris Trophy. I don't think he's won After one. all those years in Nashville where he was amazing, he didn't end up with one. Eric Carlson has, uh, had a couple after a couple years where he should have won it the first time. So what I like about last year seeing Adam Fox and Kel McCarr, these were two guys that were rookies in 2020 came out in 2021, were exceptional, and they both finished higher in voting than the reigning Stanley Cup champion and the guy that ended up ultimately winning the Smythe Trophy as well, Victor Hedman. So I think this year I can confidently say, kind of like what you were saying, but I can confidently say that it's not about the past. It's not about the reputation award. It's about who had the best season. And even, you know, for argument's sake, Roman Yossi did win it, I think, 2020 or maybe 2019. I don't remember. One of those two years. One was Giordano, one was him. Uh, so he's had one already, and yes, he's 31 years old, but uh, I think whoever gets it this year, like you were saying, Peter, yourself, is someone has to lose. It's going to be upsetting for the fan base and for the person that doesn't win it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were robbed. Roman Yossi also still gets to be incredibly handsome no matter what. <laughs> he's a 
That guy's something. He's a good-looking man. <laughs> hey, and at 31, he's still a young guy in my eyes. But um, let's take a quick te- second to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. A couple more thoughts on this game before we wrap up with a few thoughts on the LA Kings game. Is Ryan Graves, of course, makes his first appearance at Ball Arena since being traded but they gave him an, uh, a video a, yeah. a tribute video yeah. I guess where do you guys stand on Ryan Graves deserving what is actually the criteria to deserve a tribute video in I'm your very pro give, every, give everyone a tribute yeah. video if they've done something to help the team and I mean we've seen Belmar got one this year uh, Don Skoy and Grubauer got one this year Nikita Zadorov got one this year and you know Ryan Graves was a big part of this team's foundation the past few years. I have zero problem with him. I, I have zero problem with it, too. Look, we're not retiring their jersey numbers. I, I know people always, well, w- what is the criteria for getting an ovation on the Jumbotron? It's like, who cares? In the age of social media, who cares? Let let the guy get one last ovation from his fans. Yeah, and I think the fans appreciate players, it. Players, yeah, the fans appreciate it. Players are marketed more now than they ever have been. We know what they dress like. That's why you can say Roman Yosing's a dashing fella. We know what they look like going into the games. We know their personalities. You know, just from the Avalanche's social media crew, you can make some, you know, who was it, Patrick Nemeth with the backpack, and they, what's in the backpack? And Devon Taves hiding from the camera. Like, we know more about these players than ever before. Tyson Jost and JT Comfort doing that thing around uh, Halloween this year. Like, people build a connection with every single player on the team more than ever before. I grew up an Avalanche fan. You think I know jack shit about what John Clem is or who he I don't even know what he looks like. Like it's a different age now. Let these <laughs> <laughs> let these fans get one last chance to to cheer on a player that they rooted for for so many years. It doesn't need to be Eric Johnson who's here for 13, 14 years to get a standing go. Ryan Graves was a big part of this team at one point. Tyson Joe, same thing, his first time coming back. Don Scoy, same thing. He was here for a few years. He, you know, had some fun here. You know, this isn't, let's use another example on them. This isn't A.J. Greer, who was an AHL guy who was called up for four games and sent down for 50 and called up for three games. And, like, these were guys that were part of the team for a little while. And Ryan Graves had a hell of a year with Kel McCarr a couple of years ago. Led like, the league in plus minus. Yeah, led the league in plus minus, And he was a, he was a revelation. They traded Chris Begra for him. Remember when Chris Begra was drafted? Patrick Wall was singing this dude's praises. Chris Bigra is going to be the next big thing. And they ended up getting a player in Ryan Graves that turned into a good NHLer that's now $10 million richer than he was when he was with the Rangers and nothing. So I think it's, it's, it's very much okay. We're not retiring their numbers. We're just, we're just giving them five seconds while the snow's being shoveled. What I think makes it the most okay is the look on Ryan Graves' face yep. during that tribute yeah. video, right? You could tell he absolutely appreciated yep. it. He enjoyed it. I mean, just had a, a cheesing grin. I don't think I've anybody... I mean, Zadorov kind of kept a straight face, right? Belmar, kind of similar, but Ryan Graves was just so happy to see himself on the, Belmar, the ball the Jumbotron. Belmar, you can tell, had a little emotion behind his as well, but Ryan Graves reminds me of Nick Holden. This is a guy that's going to have a long NHL career because he got an opportunity in this city with this franchise to really grow into the player. That doesn't mean he couldn't have done that elsewhere if the Rangers traded him to, I don't know, some other team. 
but he's always going to have a little appreciation for this team, for this city, for these fans, because this is where it all began for him as an NHL regular. Yep, absolutely. Um, with that, we got to meet Ben Myers today, right? The newest Avalanche yep. acquisition. I guess your thoughts on the press conference. I know he didn't really give too much, but um, just give give me something on his initial press conference. Yeah, I did some digging um, yeah, before the press conference after yeah. after his signing. Um, they announced the signing yesterday around noon, which I was shocked when I saw that. Mm-hmm. I when I got a text telling me what happened, I was I did not see that coming at all. Um, I'd heard about Ben Myers, heard how good a player he was. Um, I think it was a, a big deal for the Avs. This is a guy who, I mean, look, I think some of the hype around him now is like they got the top college free agent. Let's We could calm down a little bit. Like He's not a top-line talent, but the fact is the Avs have top-line talent. This is a guy who potentially could be a really good bottom six piece, maybe even a middle six piece, and – and that's huge. So I, I think that he fits the style. He plays 200-foot game. Um, clearly got along well with management. That's why he, part of why he chose them. I think he sees an opportunity. Um, and it seems like a fit for all parties. I know some people I talked to around the league were surprised that he chose the Avs just because they look at the Avs and see this loaded juggernaut. But what you have to remember is that next year – some of the second line's going to be gone. A yep. lot of guys are going to be gone. There's going to be opportunity. He probably looked at that. And honestly, speaking of Ryan Graves, he probably looked at some of the development of guys like that, of guys like Valerian Nachushkin, and saw, okay, this is a place where I can grow and maximize my potential. Logan O'Connor. Um, so I, I thought it was a good signing. I thought it made a lot of sense. He wasn't super chatty in his, in his press conference, but I also was just thinking about, man, this dude is like, he goes from a, I think anytime you get to the Frozen Four and lose, that's got to really sting because yeah. you're so close to your goal. goes from that to Hobie Baker ceremony to just being – I mean, he had a lot of meetings. I'll tell you that. The people I talked to, like, they were like, yeah, he was talking all the time. Like, that was – I wasn't really able to get in touch with him because he was in meetings. Um, meetings, like, with teams? With the, teams, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was process. like okay. – it was Zoom calls, interviews, yep. phone interviews, stuff like that. Um team's making their pitch and then suddenly he signed and then he's on a plane and he even said he's like it's been a whirlwind and he looked a little tired so yeah, he did um i i think it it made sense that maybe he wasn't the chattiest guy in his press conference but i think it's a good signing and clearly he's a if he's the captain of a team that made it to the frozen four that's probably he's, some good leadership qualities he's living on cloud nine right now i mean it's funny somebody in the media today asked him like how cool is it to like you know you're 23 years old you knew you know or you were around when Joe Sackick was playing in the NHL. Like, how cool is it to get a call from Joe Sackick? And then, like, I think, and I'm like, well, two of the other teams that were interested in were the Minnesota Wild and the Detroit Red Wings. Who are their GMs? Bill Guerin and Steve Eisenman? Like, Bill Guerin and Steve Eisenman and Joe Sackick are all courting you along with, obviously, Armstrong in Florida and other guys. But, like, those three names stick out to me. Like, they're all courting you, trying to put that full-court press on to get you to sign with their team. Like, that's kind of got to be a pinch me moment when you have a chance to sit back and really think about it for someone like him. He looked exhausted. He's been through a lot. And then, you know, he was skating this morning, like somebody else mentioned with, you know, Ryan Murray and Nazem Kadri. like, like, holy shit, pinch me. I'm now on the avalanche. They've won seven straight games. They're on pace for their best. You know, they've already broken their record for the most wins in a season. This team could win the cup. I'm not going to be a part of it. But I'm also part of this team. But now. he could be a little bit of part of it. He can't play in the playoffs. Yeah, so yeah, for yeah. people wondering, he's ineligible for the playoffs because he wasn't on the Avalanche's reserve list at the yeah. time of the trade deadline. Um, I believe that rule came into effect because 
like players would come from overseas. Like <laughs> they'd finish their European season who was, or whatever. Who was the guy in Edmonton? Uh, Jeff Merrick mentioned his name a while yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. When, when the Oilers were going on their Stanley Cup runs, there was this one European guy in Edmonton during the Wayne Gretzky years who would play the entire season in Europe and then join the team in April, right in time for the playoff run, win another Stanley Cup with Wayne Gretzky, peace out back to Europe and come back for the playoff race. So now it's different. And, you know, for the people that have asked me, how is this different from Kale McCarr? Kale McCarr was on the reserve list because he was an Avalanche drafted player. The signing of Ben Myers as a UFA is literally the equivalent of, you know, signing any UFA like Eric Stahl or, you know, making a trade after the deadline where the player just had no part of your team before the trade deadline and thus making him ineligible for the playoffs. Yeah, highly courted. Interesting to see that he picked the Avalanche, right? Must be just such a whirlwind. We're seeing it across the league, and we've seen it as a trend in the last, what, 10, 15 years? These NCAAers mm-hmm. jumping right back in the league or j- jumping right into the league and getting these minutes and impactful minutes too, right? We've seen a couple assists already out of Bobby Brink out of DU. Um, but that's exactly what I like about what I've seen so far from Ben Myers is you at somebody asked Jared Bednar yesterday if he'll see some re- regular season minutes this year and without missing a beat, Jared Bednar immediately says, yep. oh yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. So you could tell they're excited about him. Just such an avalanche type guy, right? Always looking for the captains, these uh, the Joe Sackick, he obviously has an affinity for captains being one himself, and he knows what a captain looks like. So I just love how he's always bringing captains into the lineup. And, yeah, just can't wait to see how he grows and see what, what develops out of Ben Myers. Yeah, my last note on uh, the Ben Myers thing is, you know, think of the scenario where, like, he comes in and actually does pretty damn well, and you're like, oh, man, we can't use this guy in the playoffs. And, and the one example that I could think of that it reminds me of, not that he played well, but in 2012 – the Boston Bruins were fighting for their playoff lives. They had goaltending injuries, so they signed a veteran goalie as a UFA named Marty Turco, and they brought him in after the trade deadline to play a couple of games. They needed Marty Turco to get him into the playoffs, all the while knowing Turco can't play in the playoffs when you get there. So it's a little more weird with a goalie. It's a strange scenario. Uh, Turco ended up playing four games, went 2-2, two and two, had an 8.55 save percentage. It didn't really work out. But it's just like that scenario of like, what if Ben Myers comes in? Looks pretty damn good. Like we saw Matty Beneers had a great, you know, a great assist in his uh, debut against the Flames. We saw obviously Bobby Brink put up some points. Owen Power didn't look out of place with the Buffalo Sabres. We're seeing all these guys come in. A couple guys on the Columbus Blue Jackets. One of them had a point in Blankenberg. And then, you know, Ben Myers could very well come in as a 23-year-old and look pretty well. Not that the Avalanche are dying to have him. They're pretty deep already. But it's just a funny scenario to think like, hey, he could play really well. And then the playoffs come and it's like, shut her down. You can't play. Yeah. But I'd imagine he'll I, be around the team and yeah, get he'll be, good experience he'll be and get to be part of a, a playoff run. And that, that Rem- matters for guys. That's remember how big it was in 2020 when Bowen Byram and Jacob McDonald, two guys that were nobodies during the regular season in terms of, like, their value to the team at the time because Bo was obviously playing in the WHL, but they both went with the team to Edmonton in the bubble. I don't think McDonald did. Pretty sure he did. I thought he was one of the last cuts. Regardless, point stands, certainly with Byram. I I might be off, but with Byram, it was huge for him to go on on that, uh, to go into the Edmonton bubble with them. So maybe I'm I'm wrong, McDonald. I think he was one of the last cuts. But for Byram, it was huge for him to go, and it kind of helped him develop. And, you know, we saw that we might see the same thing with Ben Myers now. Hilariously, yesterday at the L.A. Kings game, the L.A. radio guy came out into the hallway during intermission, and he was talking to somebody. I just came and eavesdropped, and there he was saying, 
man, this team is already so good. And look at them just continue to add pieces and continue to add depth. Avalanche definitely the envy of the rest of the league for signing this one. So definitely can't wait to see what happens. So when that being said. When you're good, play, players want to play with you for your team. It's, yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah, exactly. And I think it makes some of the losses they took at the trade deadline, giving up some young players, I think mm -hmm. it makes that more digestible because now you have a guy that is maybe the equivalent of in value of a late first-round pick. Yeah, and who's the other guy they signed? Wyatt. I, I can't pronounce I can't pronounce Adlott. the last. Yeah, uh, Minnesota State captain, yeah. defenseman. My sense from talking to some of our prospect guys at The Athletic is uh, Scott Wheeler, um, read his work. He uh, He's probably a little less of an NHL prospect, maybe more of an AHL guy. Yeah. But still a good guy to have around. Yeah. Wyatt, Wyatt Amit or Amot, whatever. Yeah. However Apologies to Wyatt and yeah. his family. We, yeah. We'll get it right eventually. We'll, we'll get it right eventually. But, yeah, let's – I, I had somebody, I had a couple of people tweet at me like, does this replace Drew Hellis? And I'm like, mm, maybe not no, to that it level. Does not. No, it does but not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's another guy that they got. It's another college free agent who was a captain for another one of the Frozen Four teams. So it's cool to see Joe Sackick. You know, we saw the same thing with the Archery Lekin and Trade bringing in a guy who's a pending RFA, not a pending UFA. Like, Joe Sackick is slowly building toward next year while all the while knowing, like, I have a Stanley Cup run that I'm hoping to go on this season, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess as we prepare our descent here and start wrapping things up, any thoughts about the 9-3 to game yesterday with the LA Kings? Obviously fun to see nine goals scored by the Colorado Avalanche. Fun to see the crowd getting into it, cheering we for 10. 10. But anything really stand out to you from that game that is worthy of mentioning here on the podcast today? Um, briefly, back to the Norris thing, I think it helps for Kale McCarr that that was a national TV game. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. What I will mention about Kale McCarr, I'm glad you mentioned him first, is seeing McCarr and McKinnon on the power play alternate who's playing the point and who's at the circle taking those one-timers is so fun. And they both scored, I don't want to say the exact same goal, but a pretty similar goal of one guy feeding the other one for a one-timer from the circle. McKinnon to McCarr and McCarr to McKinnon. Like, yeah. that's the skill of these guys. For me, I know the Kings are kind of sliding their way out of playoff positioning and they were on the second night of a back-to-back -back. but for the avalanche to come and manhandle a potential playoff team the way they did like that i think just really speaks more to the strength of the colorado avalanche than it does to the weakness of the la kings yep but i just thought it was definitely a statement game out of colorado and personally it got me giddy for the playoffs it, it's reminded me hey playoffs are right around the corner and this team is firing on all cylinders right now heading in headed into them ever since that home game against the penguins about a week and a half ago now this this place has felt like it's been ready for playoff hockey mm -hmm. that game the energy was high it was the same thing against la and even in a game against new jersey which was a little bit more of a snoozer in terms of excitement on the ice the crowd was still into it everybody's ready for playoffs now absolutely so uh yeah i guess that's a good place to uh i guess put a pin in our little post-game podcast. Any closing thoughts, Arif, before we get out of here? we got another game Saturday um, right here at Ball Arena, and then they got one more home game next week before they head on a couple games on the road. So closing thoughts. Uh, I guess for me, I'm just excited to see where this podcast goes from here. Peter is, you know, he, we've had him on the show, what, now twice, I want to say? Yeah, we had the round times, table, and we had him a couple times. And him and I have a lot of back and forths, and they're a lot of fun. He's a, you know, he's a bright kid. This is a a guy that's been covering hockey for what now a, a year and four months a year and five months Something now like that, yeah <laughs> and uh 
is already one of the smartest guys. Like, Studied the I, hell I'm not going to say in this press box to like make it sound like I'm bashing anybody else, but like one of the smartest guys in the industry. He knows what he's talking about. He's got he's got facts and stats that way he meshes them. I'm like, I've been a fucking fan of the sport for 25 years and like wanting to do this for so long, and I didn't even know that. So like, it's great to have Peter on board. It's going to be a lot of fun for this. And you know, all you know, when we started this podcast, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And well, you been, didn't. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You've been doing this for years. You had, you know, other guys on the show that went on to work for the Avalanche and ditch you, Ryan Bolding. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you've been doing this for a while. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I didn't even know how to use, you know, the equipment that I had in the beginning. I had shitty equipment. Then we got new equipment. Then we changed the name. Then we got a new producer. Then we started slowly growing to the point where it's like, you know what? Let's have some fun with this thing. And adding Peter is going to be a whole nother level of that doing a podcast here at Ball Arena, like, pinch me. This is fucking awesome, and it's just going to be great to do this during the playoffs, too. And Thanks. now and now, I, uh, and now I'm the one who doesn't know what he's doing. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. It should be fun. And I'm also excited to listen to the new Phoebe Bridgers single on my drive. Yeah, I love pumped. it. Uh, this is great. We're going to have some fun during these next couple months. Yeah, I mean, this podcast felt really good. It's already awesome. I think we're, we were already a good podcast. I think we now jump into the elite level with Peter <laughs> on board. He just he just carried his weight and it made this an even better podcast. You than can't I call it either the go-to avalanche podcast without the guy from The Athletic. So <laughs> plug those athletic stories. Plug Scott Wheeler. Plug them all because... We're here for we're here for the plugs and we're here for the fun. And we're not the bland avalanche podcast, are we? <laughs> no, uh, we did have Greg Wyshynski, who who I you know I it's it's all a matter of taste. I support Greg if he if so he do doesn't I. enjoy you know. But that's that's I was I was texting Greg earlier today. I sent him a couple screenshots. I've been like you know dishing out avalanche stats. Darcy Kemper safe percentage the last five games, and you know McKinnon hitting eighty points in fifty something games and all that and. I've had seven or eight since last night of people responding to my tweet without even quoting Greg or adding him to the tweet, just being like, wow, this team is so bland. The wow, Asbane Kemper Twitter looks bland. put it out today. Did they really? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So I screenshotted like four of them and I texted them to Greg and I'm like, LMFAO. Is this <laughs> going to be the new bunch of jerks? This is going to um, be the uh, Greg just started let's something. Let's get ahead of it and make T-shirts now. Hell yeah. I'm so I excited. I wonder if it's if it's. Uh, we should we should talk to Greg because I, I'm curious if it's because there's just not that much drama. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It, that's ultimately what he meant by it. People were taking it a little differently. But this kind of reminds me, that not as much as a bunch of jerk things, but as, uh, I don't know if you guys kept up with this last year when Chris Johnston called the Montreal Canadiens a juggernaut early in the season. The Canadiens were riding high. He called them a juggernaut. They went on this crazy slump. And uh, he even ended up running a marathon with a shirt that said juggernaut. Like, he really, <laughs> like, he wore it. He really wore the juggernaut thing, and then they went on to get to the Stanley Cup final some way, somehow. So that's kind of what it reminds me of. But we do got to get Greg on. That's a good idea. Let's let's get in touch with him. Let's have our people call his people. Yeah, like, I definitely thought maybe it was just how lopsided a lot of the Avalanche games tend to be. But then you look at the Florida Panthers, and they have a, a bigger goal differential. And I think it just simply comes Florida down Panthers, to... The Florida Panthers go down 2 or 3 nothing and then score 7 goals in a row. There's always drama in their games. I, I just think that there's the obvious difference of time zones, right? Let's not... It's, it's no know. secret. Greg Wyshynski's out on the East. Avalanche have a lot of late games. I think just perhaps he doesn't catch all I, of them. I don't no, think that's no, it because no. he mentioned Edmonton and Vegas as yeah, the team. Yeah, he mentioned that's Edmonton as Vegas and they're in the Pacific. Let's get him on to explain himself, but what I gather from it is, look, Vegas is drama-filled with the way it ended with Marc-Andre Fleury, the way that people see this team, the Jack Eichel trade, the LTIR situation, how seven 
guys went on LTIR a couple days ago to bring Mark Stone off of it. The Edmonton Oilers, you know, it's Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and they're merry men that sometimes they don't have goaltending, sometimes they don't have depth scoring, sometimes Tyson Berry's leading the NHL defenseman in points last year, sometimes he's not. Like, there's always drama around the Edmonton Oilers. Leon Dreisaitl went head-to-head -head with a reporter once. Connor McDavid just looks like he hated playing hockey for like two months like there's drama around those teams when you come to the avalanche it's like this pristine team that like the biggest drama they had was nathan mckinnon crashed his nose into a stick once <laughs> like there really isn't much drama going on around here i think it's going to be hard to get greg on the show um we, we tried for the hockey show on saturday he's busy i think coming oh, really? down the stretch <laughs> i mean playoffs and everything he's definitely ramping up he, he just came back from vacation too right yeah. you don't go on vacation if you're not about to get into a busy stretch so of your season. Your Maybe people, off season. your people already tried to call his people. My people already tried. Yep. Ryan's beating me to the punch. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it here from an empty ball arena following the 3-1 win over the New Jersey Devils. Thanks for hanging out with us here on the podcast. If you made it this far, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we at you.